This is Mission.org. This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. If you're not dealing with multi-factor authentication, if you don't have that everywhere in your environment, you're going to be so busy chasing everything, you're doomed anyway. And so there's no question MFA's top of the list. What other key security measures should you be attending to in your company's security strategy? Dave Merkel, or Merck as he likes to be called, knows that an organization is only as secure as its weakest link. Merck explains that training your team to understand and utilize the security measures and technologies in place is a key part of a holistic security strategy. Enjoy hearing more about Merck's security philosophy and tactics in this episode. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Albert. Nice to be here. And that is, by the way, the last time I'll introduce you as Dave. We will go from this point forward with Merck. And I got to read this off the company site. It's pretty great. Uh, Dave Merkel, aka Merck, is the co-founder of Expel, as well as the company's chief executive officer. He's ultimately responsible for everything and has been frequently mistaken for Willy Wonka. <laughs> That's the best description I've ever seen. It's accurate. It's that I get Willy Wonka or I get Kenny G. That is the other one that I get on a regular basis. And actually- You do kind of have a Kenny G style. Yeah, it's a funny story. And it'll be funny if this person is watching this, Tina, yeah. one of our solutions architects, paid Ken- Kenny G, he's on Cameo. He filmed a message to me, which she then ambushed into a company all hands a few months ago. So it was pretty epic. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Before we get too deep into it, I can already tell you're going to be a fun guest. Merck, if you could, please describe for our audience what is Expel and what does it do so they can get a background idea of what you're all about and we can dive in. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do this at a high level, not assuming everybody watching this is like a 25-year cybersecurity nerd like I am. <laughs> uh, so here's kind of the problem if you're a company, right? Like bad guys want to do bad things to your organization, whatever it might be. And the problem you have is you got to buy a bunch of security things, widgets, monitors, alerts, things that protect you from those attacks. They don't do it by themselves. You need people. Those people are hard to get. They're hard to keep. They're expensive. And what Expel does is we're what we call in the, in the cybersecurity industry a managed detection and response vendor, which is a long, annoying phrase that means we plug into that stuff with our own technology. We do have some people that we don't need a ton of them because we have a huge technology platform that really hyperscales our people and we're your 24-7 eyes and ears to protect you and keep you safe. So that's what we do for businesses large and small uh, all across the world. So, you know, I want to unpack what you said. In a sense, you're kind of like a managed service provider because you mentioned before, I I can buy all this equipment, I can buy all this software, but I still need people to oversee it. But then you said very clearly that you also have software too to make this all work a little bit better. That's right. Yeah. And for the audience that's not familiar, I want to back this up. This is not a small, Expel has raised over, like their most recent funding round was 140.3 million Series E, co-led by Alphabet's independent growth fund. So right. this company, you, your company, clearly has some type of scalable technology that a lot of people see value in. That's right. Give us an idea of what it does, how it works, because you know we have a lot of CIOs, CEOs, CTOs that listen to the show. They've probably been pitched a lot of solutions. They probably all sound a little murky. You know that your industry can kind of buzzwords or weave enough buzzwords in so that the buyer has really no idea what they do. Oh, yeah. Give us an idea of what makes it unique. Yeah, yeah. 
first, uh, yeah, 100%. Like the cybersecurity industry is awful for clarity. I, I still remember an anecdote uh, before um, I started this, I was a global CTO at a cybersecurity company called FireEye. And before that, I was at a cybersecurity company called Mandiant. And, and my job as CTO at FireEye when they acquired us was I was sort of the market whisperer on the technology side. And I would talk to financial analysts and they're like, you people are the worst. Like nobody knows what anybody, <laughs> and we are. And I own that. It's actually one of the things I don't like about the industry. Anyway, uh, to your point, Albert, 100% correct when you said, hey, kind of a managed service provider. Yes, comma, uh, managed service providers, whether it's IT or security, whatever they're called, right? There's a bunch of acronyms that describe them. And again, there's probably more in security than there is in IT and they're all confusing, but the same idea prevails, which is outsource it. Somebody else's hands and feet. Yep. Cool. In the security industry, though, um, we've had this kind of pervasive problem where um, the way we scale on the, those businesses, all, frankly, all of them you talk to, whatever shape they are, they scale with people, right? And so as they add customers, they have to add more and more humans to deal with the problem. And okay, problem is that as that happens, you as you scale, your quality starts to drop, right? Because trying to get consistency, quality, value, all that kind of stuff with hordes and hordes of humans, it's terrible. Yeah. It's a lost cause. Um, if you want to get those results, you want scale, you want quality. And in a domain like security where it matters, like I make a mistake on Tuesday, it's not, uh-oh, the website down, it went down. It's, uh-oh, your entire company's ransomware and you're out of business. So the stakes are pretty high. I should say. It's, it's totally true. And so um, we built a technology platform in the middle of our business based on things we learned from building one the wrong way on how do you actually technology enable the vast majority of everything you deliver. You still need human beings. We do. Like, I'm not saying that I have an AI, ML, self-driving, you know, I've got some AIs and some MLs, but it's not like magically self-driving. Um, I still have some humans in that last mile, right? Just like you still drive your Tesla the last mile or it kills your cat. Same thing for cybersecurity. You still have some humans in the last mile, especially for things you've never seen before, because that happens. Um, and what I can do with that is I get scale and quality, and I get hyperscale because we understand the problem so deeply because we've done so much of this. And so, yeah, we're a technology business, and now boring financially, we have SaaS gross margins. Why? Because it's actually kind of a SaaS platform and a SaaS business. We just need some people to kind of mind the corners. And they're great people, and they're awesome. But without the technology, this business wouldn't work. Give us an idea why that's the case, because... You know, I think we've all had, we, we've had a lot of different CISOs on IT visionaries and they've explained some of the attacks and how complicated they can be. And it certainly sounds like you has to have a software component layer in order to catch any of these things from, you know, because they're, they're happening at, I guess, whether it's scale, speed, the time gap between first penetration and then actual data transfer. There's all these different ways people are doing it. Give us an idea of what it is that you guys are seeing, what's allowing you to succeed, what it is that's giving your customers so much value. And uh, definitely in the frame of like some of like the hacks, because that's where people get really fired up is they hear this like, wow, people are trying to do that to companies. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 So let's, let me go ahead. I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll just pick the accessible boogeyman of the moment, but it's a real boogeyman. So it's not a ghost story. So let's do pick on something like ransomware. Yeah. Right. Which if we go back a few years, Okay, interesting in the corners, and today is just, you know, it's everywhere. And, um, you know, the risk from ransomware is, is it's, it's huge. It's not just you stole my data, it's you locked my whole business down and blew me up. And um, you can only get the data back if you have awesome hygiene and backups, which even if you do, see in a month when you restore your entire business, or pay the ransom. And that's if they'll let you ransom it 
And by the way, if they're Russian-sponsored nation-state attackers and you're a U.S. business that made Vladimir Putin mad, they're not going to give you the keys for any amount of money. Have a nice day. Right. So that's that's the kind of thing that's in the background of the sort of thing you're dealing with. And and you, you've got – you don't have hours and days. You've got minutes if something goes sideways to find it, to contain it, and prevent the bad outcome. So that's a, a pretty high bar. And to do that, you've bought all this security stuff, and it's generating signal, right? Like when you buy different security technologies to find and prevent stuff, you know, the big thing that they're doing is they're generating signal. And they're trying to tell you there might be something important. But the, the reality is it's not magic, right? It's not like, oh, and they can see it all the time. They can't. Like, that's just not the way the world works. You may just see a little wiggle of something. And if you miss it, you've got a problem. Yeah. That's pretty tough. Like you're telling a human being to go dive in the haystack and, and find the needle, basically. It's not going to work. First, you got to chop that haystack down, right? Like it's much easier to get to the needle if you bring your metal detector and go, that's a needle and the rest of the stuff is straw, right? Yeah. Technology. Same principle, right? So eat the signal, turn it into a finite set of things. And then once it's a finite set of things, if you've been paying attention and learning, you have a bunch of questions for these, you know, much smaller number of things. So you might go from millions to hundreds of things that you need to look at. For those hundreds of things, there's probably five, six, seven questions for each of them that are going to be necessary to really figure out, is this something? If so, what is it? And what should I do? Okay, well, that can be software. And in some cases, you may even know what to do to include how to write the report, tell the humans and, and fix the problem, uh, in, in which case, okay, go do those things. And then what's left is some much smaller number where in that last mile, again, my self-driving car analogy, that cat jumped out, you don't want to hit it. That's when the human grabs the wheel and goes, huh, something tells me something's not right here and I need to dig harder. That's the human moment, but it needs to be a small enough set of moments the humans have time to spend on that particular problem. And so that signal's got to get crunched from a giant haystack to a small number of candidate needles, and then the human can examine those few number of those and the technology is taking care of everything else. And what that does is it means that in that ransomware moment, which we would consider a critical incident, yeah. we can go from alert to fix, meaning contained, remediated, it's off, reports written. Uh, the 95th percentile time for fixing things for expel for critical incidents is like less than 21 minutes from the very first indication to done. You can't even order a pizza that fast. So that's the kind of performance that's necessary. Uh, that's amazing. Oh, I've, not heard a, I've not heard a claim like that yet, right? 21 minutes is... From incident detection to solving the problem, you're talking about 20, that's 21 minutes. Yeah, start to finish. All right. For, for something that's serious like, like ransomware that's going to put you out of business. And by the way, you increasingly have to be that good because that's the direction the threats are going. And it's, it's, it's no longer like one person creates the concept, you sell a bunch of black market sort of ransomware kits on the interwebs or you know, sell it as a service even. And then, you know, poof, you've got a problem. No, that makes that's pretty amazing. You know, I want to ask you a question because you were talking about ransomware. And by the way, I, I, as you were talking about it, it occurred to me that there's there was a big news story this week about, and I just pulled it up. Lincoln College. This happened on Monday. For anyone listening, that's not yeah, familiar. That's right. Lincoln College just shut down. They had a ransomware attack. They could not solve. It took months. They said they worked on it for months, and that's it. They're calling it closed. They're closing operations. Yeah. May thirteenth, which is in three days will be their last day of offering classes. Like it's over for them. That's that's how bad this yeah. attack has been on them. You know, you you mentioned this is one of the biggest concerns and 
our flagship sponsor of IT Visionaries, of course, has put out, I talked about before, this security data trends report. And in it, they were talking about what are the biggest threats that they see to their business. Uh, ransomware ranked number two among surveys of CIOs. But interestingly enough, I want to ask you a question about what uh, the what the survey uncovered when it comes to like data in the security toolkit. They said that the strategies that they wanted, that they thought that they were going to invest in to best defend their organization were one, multi-factor authentication, yep. two, identity and access management, three, data encryption. I can keep going on. Four was IT security and training. Uh, next was phishing uh, to be able to test phish- uh, email phishing. They wanted backup restore solutions, event monitoring, but they didn't really name a third party like you guys as one of their options, which, which I thought was interesting. 300, over 300 CIOs were surveyed. Do you have an idea or a hypothesis why they didn't think about, hey, why don't we have a company like Spell just oversee all of that? Because these are these are definitely point solution tools for sure, but I don't know if this, does it actually solve the ransomware problem, would you say? Like, does, you know, does 2FA solve ransom? Not really. Like, you know what I mean? Identity and access management. Well, if someone's coming in through another way, I don't know, I guess... I'm curious why you think they answer providing those options. Yeah, the um, well, I can't see inside their heads. I'll, I'll tell you maybe what I would answer, and then we would compare and contrast what I would say versus what they said. First, we would both agree on the first one because when you think about protecting yourself, yep, right, like you got to kind of shrink the number of things you're going to deal with every day. If you're not dealing with multi-factor authentication, if you don't have that everywhere in your environment, you're going to be so busy chasing everything, like you're doomed anyway. And so. There's no question MFA's top of the list. And then what I would say for me, second, I'd be kind of a macro category. I'd use the word hygiene. Hygiene. And that's preventing the things that you can prevent because there's fixes. They exist. And in good process, um, you know, good IT management takes those things off the board as a as a risk. So it's it's patching, it is backups. Um, it's also recovery, meaning you can use the backups. And if you have MFA and good hygiene to include backups. Let's say you do have a ransomware situation. You at least, it, recovery is at least possible. It may still be too time too time consuming or too expensive, but it's at least possible. So you now have an option if you're trying to deal with a problem. I completely agree with that. Nice. And kind of tied to MFA when you get to identity and access management. Yeah. You know, well, you, you need to know who to give multi-factor authentication to. So kind of MFA and IAM kind of there's a pairing there. So so for that cluster of things. I would say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care about that. Um, now, when you get a little bit further down, buying a bunch of security technologies is great. Somewhere in there, there's got to be a category that says, and pay for operating it, whether you're choosing to operate it yourself or have a th- third party do it. I'd have to look at the answers to kind of say, mm, that's probably lumped in here and here. Like when I see a phrase, IT security could be in there. Yeah. If I see a phrase, security operations, it's in there. Um, and they may or may not think about it distinctly as an outsourcing thing or not an outsourcing thing. They may be thinking in terms of capability. But anywhere where you see operate this stuff that we paid for, that should be on their mind. If it's not on their mind, none of the stuff they paid for is going to help them in that domain. But we bought this awesome detection technology. Awesome. Who's monitoring it and doing something? No one. Cool story. There are plenty, <laughs> which I'm not going to name. From my background, there are plenty of headline stories of companies and brands you all know very well where exactly what happened was that. Something was plugged in. It flashed red. Nobody bothered to operationalize it to do something with it. And the next thing you know, they're a headline. The CEO lost their job. 
the brand took a hit, those kinds of things. And that's what happens when you don't forget the total cost of actually implementing these things. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, similar thing, which is all these tools probably work well as intended. However, the problem is not the tool. It's always the training or the process or the accountability to actually hold people to the, right. what the tool what the tools require. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's just like a seatbelt. Like a seatbelt is actually useless unless someone puts it on. If, if no one's required to put it, for example, cars, right? I can turn on a car without buckling my seatbelt. Nothing actually stops me. It's a, it's a process that that keeps people safe, just like it's a process that keeps people at traffic lights safe. And I've seen plenty of people working at coffee shops, and I'm sure their company's policy is do not write your password and stick it on a sticky note on your computer. Yet here, you know, I know you've seen it, Merck. People lift up their laptop there at Starbucks. They got a yellow stick. Like you could tell, like yo, know, your password's literally on your uh, sticky pad. <laughs> That's right. I know you've seen it. Yeah, it's. Um- <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely have. You know, it's interesting. You know, like we were just talking about, pe- people buy technology, um, but when you when you don't do the rest of it, like turn it on, pay attention to what it says, you know, train people to use a password manager, but it still shows up as a sticky note um, on their laptop in a in a Starbucks. Like, there's so many ways for it to fail, and and the and the challenge is. Um, You've probably heard this before, like the, the challenge on the kind of defender side of this, the cybersecurity defender side is bad guy only has to get it right once and you've got to get it right every day. Right. Um, so how do you, that's impossible. So how do, what do you do there? And that's where you end up with, you know, first you got to pick your technologies and pick your strategies, assuming any one of them at any point in time will fail. And what you're engineering for is don't let all of them fail at the same time. But again, that really comes back to, um, I'll, I'll use a, for operational rigor. Like, you know, you ha- you can't just turn it on and everything magically works. It's got to be somebody's job to make sure that it's on. It's got to be somebody's job to make sure that it's working. It's got to be somebody's job to check for failures. It's got somebody's, you know, got to be somebody's job to do something about it when it does fail. And that's all that extra stuff, all that operational stuff that's kind of tied up in kind of good security operations. And, and very often that's something, we have a ton of customers that understand how to value that, they do value it. There's a reason they picked us. It's because it works. Um, they buy into our philosophy of no, no, no. Like you got to have a significant technology component in addition to the people component. But I get that there are many organizations, despite the security leaders and professionals in their teams, going, "Cool story. This isn't. You didn't pay to operationalize this, and you need to. And you're and and it's sometimes a bit of a slog to try to get the business to truly understand it." Yeah. So how does someone figure out that they have a problem and that they need to possibly talk to you and see if you can help solve the problem? Because I often equate cybersecurity similar to like insurance. For example, I have insurance. You can ask me, is it good? I don't know. I haven't, nothing's bad's happened to me. So I think it's good. Right. It's, I don't, and, and when will I shop for a new policy? I guess when I, something bad happens, then it's like, yeah, dude, you didn't cover what I thought you were going to cover. So now I got to go get someone else to cover it for me. You know what I mean? How does someone know or how do your customers make the decision to say, hey, I, I want to meet Merck. I need to understand what Expel does. I need to understand how better to get a control of my own security and systems because yeah. I would say this, the absence of negative events does not mean you're protected, but I think most people default to that. Yeah. that's um, it, It's super interesting that you uh, you draw that comparison to insurance. I'll probably have an anecdote about that towards the tail end of this Rant. I'm about to give it. <laughs> no we'll see if it happens, right? Um, so, uh, so the first thing is there's there's what happens 
with the security buyer at a company. And then there's what happens with the rest of the business, right? Because it's often kind of both that you're dealing with when somebody's making, frankly, a strategic decision that, hey, we're not just going to build this thing ourselves. We're going to spend the following dollars and have this outside party do it. That's, that's not a tactical decision. That's strategic. And often there's, there's more stakeholders than just the security leadership. Sometimes not, but often yes. The security leader, what we often see is there's some internal understanding that, okay, we really do need to care about this stuff. 24/7. We do need to be good at it at a level that that is has has some level level of provable quality and they probably have an opinion about what that provable quality is aside from hey we found a bad thing and we didn't go out of business. Okay, cool, that's a good thing, but what else are you measuring before that point to know that we could generate that outcome? So they probably have an opinion about that. And that gets into a bunch of crunchy cybersecurity nerd details which I can use that phrase because I am one. Um, uh, around sort of op- it's it's operations um, uh, operational efficacy, right? You're, you're gathering operational metrics from how you do what you do and understanding which of those metrics actually connect to being good at this work. And just as an aside, I won't get into it here, but we've actually published a bunch of stuff about exactly this philosophy on our blog. Um, one of our uh, excellent uh, operational leaders, John Inzinski, has got a, a number of things there in addition to um, Elizabeth Weber from our data science team. We, we use data like in unbelievable ways. And so when we find you know, buyers that are like, we need to be good, they also have an opinion about how to tell what good is. And sometimes we can help them evolve that understanding. Awesome. And now what I've done, if we agree what good is, that lets them try us and prove that we can actually be good, even if they don't get hacked the day they're evaluating us. Awesome. The next thing is that has to happen, particularly if you're in an organization where the security leader just doesn't have carte blanche to do whatever they want. Like there's some other significant stakeholders in the business that care. You got to go teach them. They have to go talk to them a little bit in their language, find analogies, um, talk about the insurance analogy, talk about um, the fact that we don't want to just be, you know, deciding this insurance is any good on the day that we actually have to file a claim. We want to know that we're well covered before then. Like, what are the things that we evaluate continually to know that we will be? And instruct the business so that they understand why you're setting the bar where it needs to be. And they understand why you're saying this thing that you're buying meets that bar. And by the way, that's not just if you're buying us. Frankly, if you're buying anything security oriented, is you got to take away the mysticism and make it accessible and be able to talk about return on investment more in business terms than in cyber terms. And frankly, we see fewer challenges talking with the security leaders. We see more challenges as the security leaders try to talk with the business, and it varies widely by organization. Some businesses, tremendously enlightened. Some, you're like, it's not 1995. Like, what, what's going on here? Um, and, and so I acknowledge the difficulty of that conversation. I like how you put that in. <laughs> I don't know. I just had to chuckle that 1995 thing. Uh, there's, there are days, right? There are days. Few, fewer days in 2022 than in 2015 than in 2010. So I do see progress. I'm not here being just the ultra cynical cyber guy where we're all doomed and everything's worse. It's actually not true. Yeah. Um, actually, I had I was talking to a financial executive who also sits on public boards earlier this week, and, and she was commenting on the board she's, she's sitting on is almost everything they're talking about at a board level over the past five board meetings, so call that about a year and a half, cybersecurity has been number one or number two on the list, which I thought is actually great. That's tremendous. That's a very yeah. positive development. Yeah. There's there is a definite rise in need and interest. And I think that's starting to match. Give me an idea. Like one, 
One of the uh, previous CISOs that have been on the show suggested that, well, no CEO wants to be the one that gets hacked now because it's like everyone now knows. You now know it's out there. Yeah. Like, it's not disputable anymore, right? Like, is this going to happen? Can it happen? How big's the threat? There's too many cases of, let's say, ransomware. Let's just start there, like taking down companies. It just ha- it happens every week. A big company gets taken down. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is this the like you said, right? A bad guy only has to breach you once. You have to breach yourself 100%. You have to protect yourself 100% of the time, every day, every every minute of every day. So that we can see that there's more interest in demand because no one wants to, you know, whether it's altruistic or not, like no one, number one, no one wants to be the person that gets breached, right? Number two, no, no one wants it under their watch. And then of course it's catastrophic if it happens. Are you seeing more and more like outward investment, meaning- People are more proactive. They're like, hey, how do I even make my cybersecurity systems better? Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Uh, like, because there used to be kind of like this like resistance almost like, hey, I'm, I'm good enough or nothing bad enough's happened. Yeah. You know, maybe if, like you said, an outside pressure, like an outside investor was like pushing on me, I'm like, well, I don't know, I guess I'll give Merck a call. But are you seeing more companies proactive, like being like, I need to up my stack. I need to make, I need to be better at all times. We see no shortage of, of, of demand. That's awesome. Now, you know, the caveat, there, there's always, you know, certain industries that may lag a little bit just culturally. There's there's also sure. individual organizations, regardless of maybe a given, maybe a given industry is very lean forward on cybersecurity. You can still find one just based on that company's culture, leadership at the time, et cetera, that's kind of lost in the woods. There's always exceptions, but there's no question I'd say the trend is continuing upward. Uh, I do think there's still now a uh, a greater and greater need for especially the non-security leaders in the business to know what good is, not at a detailed technical level, but you know, at the appropriate level of abstraction. Just like, you know, if you're a CEO of a company, like you you have an idea of what what's good marketing. Like yeah. you have some idea of how you go to your marketing executive and know what metrics you're going to look at that would make sense to you as the CEO to tell you whether marketing's doing their job. Same thing is true for sales. Same thing is true for product and engineering. Why is that not true for security? It is just as critical a part of the business. And so CEOs, other business execs can get really complicated things in their heads. It's not that security is more complicated than anything else they're dealing with. Um, What they need to do is really get now what does good security look like and security leaders, I'm talking to you if any of you are listening to this, (laughs) you need to help them and figure out how to talk to them. In fact, why don't you cross the bridge to them first instead of waiting for them to come to you? Now, I think it's really not, it's, it's less, to me now, the journey is now less awareness that this is important and now more, how does the board know it's good enough? How does the CEO know it's good enough? How can they tell when it's not and when they need to make a security leadership change like that, just like they would with any other executive? I think now it's that stage of the evolution. Well, that's pretty interesting. Well, I think you did a really good job of defining that uh, earlier. Like I said, no one, no one has ever come on the show and said every, you know, our average time from identification to resolution is 21 minutes. I mean, that's just seems like an impossibly short time. That's it. That's even better than average. That's the 95th percentile. So it's the, it is the vast majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I don't, I don't, I'm not like a braggy guy. That's not how I, how I tend to roll, but our operators, our platform is just that good. And so I'm extremely proud of the amazing things they've achieved. It goes to what you were saying before. Like, you know, you don't have to know the ins and outs. If I'm the, if I run a company, I don't have to know the ins and outs of everything, but I kind of have an idea of what good marketing looks like. Right, good marketing is going to increase my inbound deal flow. It's going to increase my inbound in calls and inquiries. I know what good customer service looks like. Right, less phone calls coming in. Right, right. 
I theoretically should know what good security looks like, kind of like what you said. Yeah, and, and to your point, it can't it can't just be incidents, right? It can't just be hacks. It's got to be what are you looking at before the hack to know it's good before that day comes. That's that's the key. That's true. And the lens people have used historically is the wrong lens. So how do you get predictive? How do you get forward looking in that domain? Yeah, that's true. If I was the, I'd want to know how many things are you assessing at all times? How many things did you identify that you prevented? How many things did you prevent for me? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Uh, if, if you are, um, again, I'll try not to trip too security nerd, but let's say you got all these alerts and stuff you're looking at and you have a team, say you're doing it yourself, which is there are plenty of organizations that do and, and they should. And there are plenty of organizations that are good at it. Good for them. That's awesome. As their team is looking at all that signal and making decisions, how are you validating they were the right decisions? And how do you do that at scale? Like how are you applying quality control? Um, so on and so forth. We, uh, it's actually cool. The, um, uh, it, in fact, if you ever talk to our chief product officer, Matt Peters, like, and let him talk about what I'm about to say, he'll take the whole hour just on this, but we've actually, <laughs> we have a tech platform that enables it. We're actually able to implement adversarial quality control, which is actually sort of a manufacturing mindset, but we can actually apply that at scale in the technology in order to increase, to drive up that sort of, I said scale, you know, and then quality, you know, quality comes from, you know, how do you, how do you get that inspection, but get that inspection at a rate and, and size that really gives you transformationally great output. You know, why do robots help assemble cars? Okay, well, why aren't robots dealing with security signal? There's a number of parallels to what we're doing and sort of uh, uh, how you might think about sort of at scale manufacturing processes. The parallels are really fascinating. All right, well, we'll have to get them on the show because that's, that does sound interesting. Well, Merck, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Merck, this is where we ask you questions outside of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Okay. I'll, I'll try to remember the last outside of work thing I did. <laughs> I did. It was this past weekend. I'm kidding. It was this past weekend. Go ahead. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So you're a passionate dude. You definitely seem very creative. Your hair's wild. What do you like to do outside of work? Uh, let's see here. Uh, well, I mean, both my kids are teenagers. And so if it's not getting ready for one to go to college, you're taking the other one to a soccer field. Uh, I like fitness stuff, kind of running, lifting, cycling, that kind of thing. Just I like to move around. So that's cool. Uh, love fly fishing. I grew up doing that as a kid in Colorado. So I uh, love to do that. Uh, I am a uh, hopelessly addicted video game player again since a kid. And if you're wondering what's the game of choice currently, it's Elden Ring. So we'll see if I ever finish it. Um, yeah, those are those are a few things that I enjoy. You said you like fly fishing. Yeah. Currently work right outside of uh, Washington D.C. area. Is that right right now? Yeah, I sure do. Mm-hmm. So that's where, that's where I'm from. Oh, okay, I'm from cool. the D.C. area. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm from Fairfax County. Yeah. Oh, right on. So I live in Herndon. Um, okay. And kind of fun fact, my wife was the mayor of Herndon uh, for eight years. Um, her last term was in 2020, finished in 2020, and she was on council two years before that. So I am the former first lady of Herndon. So didn't know that. There you go. There you go. Where do you go to f- uh, fly fish it, nearby? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a few places. Um, there's some. So growing up in Colorado, that's mostly you know trout fishing, which I enjoy. Um, there are some places out near Harrisonburg that are sort of spring-fed creeks, so the water's cold enough, and you get some decent trout fishing there. Uh, there's a couple uh, decent places up in. Well, there's a lot of places in Pennsylvania, but uh, there's a few that are only two or three hours away. And then um, 
if you'd rather fish for like bass or smallmouth bass, the Shenandoah is world class. So um, it's it's fantastic that you do need to float it or do it in a kayak because it's big. <laughs> for those listening, it's about it's about two hours two hours outside of uh, yeah Herndon, I guess. Yep, yep, two hours west. <laughs> you said you're uh, one of your kids is a, is a big time soccer player. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. My daughter Lila, she's uh, fourteen. So uh, yeah, we're. There's, you know, I forget how many games this past weekend, not even a term is like three games on the couple of teams she's on and there's other teams she's trying out for. She's about <laughs> to go to high school and wants to play there. So yeah, no, she enjoys it. She enjoys it quite a bit. But how about you? Do you enjoy watching your kids compete? You know, I, I do. Uh, I do like, and I enjoyed coaching them when they were little, although it, there was definitely a time when I was like, Ooh, we need to not be having dad coach anymore. So I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> I like watching them compete. Um, you know, it's less fun when it's, you know, a Sunday in May and it's 45 degrees and windy and then raining. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. But when the weather gets a little bit nicer, it's definitely a little bit more fun. <laughs> well, Burke, I could tell you my, my, my life's similar to yours in the, in the regard that my kids competes too. So I'm, I'm, I'm not at a, I'm not at a soccer field, but I am in an ice rink all the time because my son plays hockey, but awesome. Yeah. I know exactly what it feels like to just be spending your most of your weekend. What feels like driving around. Yeah. It's, you know, at the end of the day though, it's fun as I watch my son about to go to college, I'm like, and, and ha I had those moments in with, with him too. I'm glad I spent them because pretty soon, like that's it. So we're, we're trying to grasp that that's reality it. right now, which is a little mind blowing. Well, yeah. When you, when you get some tips, fill me in <laughs> on how, how to deal with the empty nest. I, probably what I'll have is a list of here's all the things I screwed up so that you know what not to do. Um, that that's usually how. I, and then you'll also magically beat Elden Ring. That's uh, that that makes because you'll happen. have time. That may happen. Yeah, I'm. I, that's I, I can I can do that one through sheer force <laughs> of will. I'm going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Merrick, it was awesome having you on the show. For those that are interested, expel e x p e l dot com. You guys can check them out. Burke, it was awesome having you. Thanks for sharing your vision of cybersecurity, how it's services plus technology that'll get the job done. And we appreciate all the insights you've shared about how, and also kind of like the market insights you shared about how much more companies are just looking to invest and strengthen and bolster their security protocol. Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, Albert. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>